0: Welcome to Backlog Books. In this podcast, I will be recapping and discussing what I've been reading lately. My name is Kara. Thank you for joining me and please be prepared for spoilers. I usually have like a little planned thing I want to say at the beginning of an episode before I start, but I have just been so busy all of February and so far pretty busy into March as well. So don't really have anything to share at the moment. I'm thinking about starting a website for this podcast instead of just using my hosting services website and Facebook. It might be nice to have everything easily accessible all in one place, where like a Facebook page doesn't really do that for you. Just something I'm thinking about. Anyway, let's get started. This time we are talking about Jade City by Fonda Lee here is the summary. Jade is the lifeblood of the island of Kikon. It has been mined, traded, stolen, and killed for, and for centuries, honorable greenbone warriors like the Call family have used it to enhance their magical abilities and defend the island from foreign invasion. Now the war is over and a new generation of calls vies for control of Kikon's bustling capital city. They care about nothing but protecting their own, cornering the jade market and defending the districts under their protection. Ancient tradition has little place in this rapidly changing nation. When a powerful new drug emerges that lets anyone, even foreigners, wield jade, the simmering tension between the Calls and the rivalite family erupts into open violence. The outcome of this clan war will determine the fate of all Greenbones, from their grandest patriarch to the lowliest motorcycle runner on the streets, and of Kikon itself. Jade City was published in 2017, it won a World Fantasy Award. It is the first book in the now-complete Greenbone Saga, which comprises three books, Jade City, Jade War, and Jade Legacy. Our author, Fonda Lee, was born in Canada. She's written a sci-fi duology, the EXO duology, as well as short stories and comics for Marvel. She's a black belt martial artist and three-time winner of the Aurora Awards. This is like a 40s urban fantasy set in fantasy Japan, so it's pretty unique. They have fancy imported cars and telephones and televisions. The world building as a whole deserves a lot of attention. It is very well done. The thought and effort put into it was impressive. One of the easiest places to see this is in the language Lee uses with phrases like whispering a man's name to mean putting a hit out on him. And then the book goes even further and explains how that phrase came about and how it's tied into the history of Kikon, of this island. I really, really liked that aspect of it. The characters were believable and interesting with lots of flaws and different drives because Lee writes them so well. Another one of the strengths of the book is the exploration of the relationships between the characters. Now, I didn't particularly like any of them, but I can see why this series has been so popular. So our setting is the island of Kikon, mostly in the capital city Jinlun, which is known as Jade City to the outside world. Until recently, the Kikonis were waging a guerrilla war against an occupying foreign power. And I read this a few months ago, but it would be remiss of me if I didn't mention the situation in Ukraine. I'm recording this on March 8, 2022. About a week ago, Russia started an invasion of Ukraine. It's ongoing. By the time this episode airs, a lot will have changed. Things move both fast and slow in such a situation. The history in Jade City of overthrowing and occupying foreign power is very much recent history. It affects how the characters got to where they are and where they go and the choices they make in the future. But for them, they have control of their country again. I don't really have anything insightful to add or comparisons to draw. It just felt disingenuous not to mention it. This is still happening in Ukraine. Mostly, all I can do is hope that they still have a country of their own at the end of this. But because I am also a big believer in putting your money towards things that you care about, I'm going to find a place to donate to relief efforts in Ukraine, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes if you are also sort of feeling adrift. So Jade City. It's only been in the last 20 or so years before the book begins that they have regained control of their island. The jade warriors, known as Green Bones, were protectors of the people and freedom fighters. Jade is what gives the green bones their power. It makes them stronger, faster than a normal person, and sharpens all their senses. It's also very much written and described like a drug. You have withdrawals if you stop wearing it. People can become addicted to it, burn out on it. And until recently, only the Kikonese could use it. However, a new drug is being manufactured called Shine which allows everyone to use jade. Exporting jade has become the biggest industry. It's what they're known for, it's what everybody wants from them. The different greenbone clans set up the Kikon Jade Alliance to ensure that no one clan has control over all the jade. They're being careful about where it goes, how much it costs, how much they sell, etc., etc., Jade and Shine are at the center of the struggle in this book, seeing how they affect the clans and the country, and also how they affect the interpersonal relationships of our main characters. The Greenbone clans continue to offer protection to the people. The capital city, Jan Loon, is split up by clan. Businesses and families are affiliated with certain clans, Certain areas or districts of the city are considered under a clan's protection. It's sort of like a mob set up where you pay tribute in exchange for protection and connections. While there are many smaller clans, there are two key players, the Mountain and No Peak clans. Our protagonists are the new young leadership of the No Peak clan, the Call siblings. Lan, who's the pillar or head of the family, Hilo, who is the horn who controls the enforcers, and Shea, the daughter who was raised to be the weatherman who runs the business side of the clan. Shea left years ago to study abroad and has only recently returned to Jan Loon and is currently refusing to be part of the family business or wear her jade. In typical mob story fashion, the mountain has been gradually encroaching into No Peak's territory, shaking down businesses loyal to No Peak. Hilo is ready to jump into an all-out conflict, to settle the long, contentious history between the two clans. Lan, the pillar who wins the award for the one character I like, asks his sister, Shay, to investigate— he needs someone he can trust to do it. Even though she's been trying to live her own life separate from the clan, she wants to help. He's the pillar, and clan ties aren't easily forgotten, but more than that, he's her brother, and he's the only one of her family who respected her decision to leave and not wear jade. Her investigation eventually uncovers that the Mountain has been mining and exporting more jade than reported to the Jade Alliance, and worst of all, that someone inside No Peak has been covering it up. Before they can find a way to reveal this information to the Alliance to their advantage, the Mountain tries to have Hilo killed. And they fail. And now, honor requires that Lan demand recompense and take the two clans dangerously close to war. It's especially difficult for Lan because he works very hard to keep the peace, not only between the clans, but also in his family. And he also understands that the mountain considers Hilo their biggest threat, even though Hilo is not the pillar. But Hilo has the loyalty of the martial forces of No Peak. If he decided to go against his brother and start a war, the Green Bones would follow him. Lan has to duel in order to maintain control in the eyes of the mountain and in the eyes of his own clan. Lan wins his duel, and as is traditional, takes the jade from the Green Bone he defeated and adds it to his own. The clans reach an impasse after the duel, technically honor is satisfied on all sides, except the mountain keeps bothering no-peak businesses and territory, they're just being sneakier about it. The extra jade Lan now wears, that he has to wear in order to be seen as strong, begins to weaken him. There's only so much jade that you can wear and control. Lan begins to take Shine, the drug that can enhance one's jade abilities or help wean you off of jade dependence. And then Lan, mind muddled by Shine, dies in an accident. This is tragic, not least because Lan was the only character I really liked, but Lan would have been an amazing pillar for peacetime, would have tried to build bridges and form alliances and he's lost before he ever gets a chance to really flourish and really be the pillar that he could have been. Hot-headed young Hilo, who was the Horn, becomes the new pillar. There's not really anyone else who could take the job. His first act as the new pillar of No Peak is to take them to war with the Mountain, claiming that they were the ones who killed Lan. Who doesn't know that Lan's death was an accident, is unable to walk away from her family again. Not now that her older brother has been killed. She puts her jade back on and joins her remaining brother at war. Now, No Peak is kind of outmatched. The clan's numbers are similar, but the mountain has more money and richer companies paying tribute. They have also an experienced Pillar, who took control of her clan by force. Both Shay and Hilo are very young and inexperienced. Hilo was always better as a fighter, not as the politician that a Pillar needs to be, and Shay has been gone for years. They need to move quickly to solidify their standing within their own clan. In an extended conflict, the Mountain will win unless... No peak can buy time to find more money and more green bones or find a way to break the mountain's forces. No one wants a prolonged fight between clans. It's bad for business and for the regular people of Kikon. You know, the ones the clans are meant to be protecting. This book has a lot of inner and inter clan conflict. It balances the familial conflict between Hilo and Shea with the maneuvering done by the clans. There's also an element of spy work in here as Shea connects with foreigners to undermine the mountain. Shea becomes Hilo's weatherman. It's her job to interface with the businesses that fall under no-peak's purview. It's also her job to know things. Shea meets in secret with the pillar of the Mountain clan, who offers her a deal. She can be weatherman for the Mountain, help bring peace to Jan Loon. The Mountain wants to consolidate all the clans, bring them under one banner. They were hoping to convince Lan, but they know they have no chance of convincing Hilo. All Shay has to do to end the conflict and bring about a united Jan Loon is betray her hot-headed brother. Shay is practical, but she won't betray her family. No Peak holds on stubbornly. Shay using her foreign connections to keep money flowing into the clan's coffers. It's up to Hilo to find a way to break the mountain's forces to buy them the time they need to get more green bones. Hilo is very action-oriented. It's what made him a great horn and makes him an awkward pillar but he makes a deal with the Mountain. Give him a clean death in a duel in exchange for his family being allowed to leave and live. Once again, the Pillar of No Peak must duel. The Mountain thinks Hilo is giving up. Instead, Hilo tricks them and kills the Horn, the general of the Mountain. It doesn't behead the Mountain Clan, but it does cripple them for a while, and allows no-peak the time it needed to consolidate and secure its position. At least for now. By the end, the war between the clans has settled into a cold war as each side retreats behind their lines, and it seems, ultimately, this story is headed towards an end with one clan over all of Kikon but it's anyone's guess whether that clan will be the mountain or no peak. This was a long book. It dragged a little. I felt like it kept saying over and over who the characters are and why they are that way. Like, 500 pages in, we had a flashback about Hilo and his lieutenants, even though we'd spent the last 500 pages making it very clear who Hilo is and why he is that way. Personally, I don't plan to finish the series. Like I said earlier, I didn't really like any of the characters, and while the story is interesting, it didn't quite grab me. It is, however, well written. Like I said, the world building was really good. The characters are well constructed, and I think if you're interested in this kind of mob family story with complex relationships, you'd really like this book. And that's pretty much all I got on this one. I wish I had something insightful or inspiring to say, to draw it all to a close, to relate it back to Ukraine and make an inspiring speech or something, but I just don't know what will happen. History is rarely as neat as a, as a set of novels. If you want more media like Jade City, you can try The Daughter of the Empire series by Jannie Wertz and Raymond Feist, which has a young woman unexpectedly thrown into a position of power where any moment her clan could be destroyed by neighbors. I haven't read it in a really long time, but I remember really liking it. And join me next time to hear about The Odyssey by Homer translated by Emily Wilson. Have you read next episode's book or this episode's book? I'd love to hear what you think about it. You can contact me at backlogbookspod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support it, the best way to do that is to rate or review it on Apple Podcasts or just share it with a friend. You can follow the podcast on Facebook at Backlog Books Podcast. The music is by Joseph McDade. You can hear more of his work at josephmcdade.com. Thank you for spending this time with me. I hope to talk with you again soon.